Hello everyone, welcome to Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. So there's this old saying, at least a saying, that I've lived by for some time, which probably constitutes then, or at least gives me the ability to say it's an old saying. It's probably not my own either. It's probably been something I've picked up along the way. But I have found it to be a truth, a truism, and uh, repeatedly over and over and over again, regardless, it seems, situation, circumstance aside, it always will bear itself out to be not only factual, as in evidence, but truth. You can't make anyone do what they don't want to do. And as much that isn't the entirety of individuals as far as thought or in a more emotional context, motivation, that come to seek psychological care or counseling, Nonetheless, when the going going gets tough, the tough indeed do have to get going. But you can't make anybody either be tough or do something they don't want to do. And that is pretty much anything and everything in life, to my best estimation, applies to anything and everything in life, to my best estimation, and that includes psychological counseling. Psychology Today, November, December 2023, under the treatment section, and it's subtitled Progress. When therapy stalls, when sessions go nowhere, it's time for the therapist to re-energize the process. Sometimes confrontation is in order. By Elizabeth Heaney. And Elizabeth is a licensed professional counselor who maintains a private practice in Asheville, North Carolina, working with individuals and couples. Again, you'll find this in the Psychology Today, November, December 2023 edition. In therapy sessions each week, Davika recounts over and over how awful her ex-husband was to her, reciting her grievances and reigniting her rage. Spencer started therapy hoping to lay the groundwork for his first successful relationship. But months have passed, and he spends most sessions recounting the previous week in excruciating detail, with little time left to even scratch the surface of his deeper concerns. For Davika and Spencer, therapeutic progress has stalled. Forward momentum has stopped, and the interactions between therapist and client have sunk into directionless exchanges. Therapists play a pivotal role in client skill development, and when such stalls occur, directly addressing them is crucial, regardless of how uncomfortable or challenging it might be. Doing so starts with understanding how and why progress typically falters and what might be needed to get each client back on track. Four ways therapy can stall. In my experience, impediments to the therapeutic process tend to fall into four categories. One, 
The client covers the same material in every session without developing new insight or depth. Davika's rants do little more than bolster her already strong case against her ex-husband. Two, the client reports on the past week offering stories or details without relevance to a deeper process. There's nothing inherently wrong with reporting these, but when, like Spencer, a client focuses solely on details and anecdotes, there is likely to be little legitimate progress. Three, the client ignores their own contribution to an issue, focusing on the other person or persons and seeing them as the problem. Letitia wants her husband to help more around the house, but seems incapable of noticing how her need to control and critique his efforts contributes to his failure to participate. And finally, number four, the client claims to want things to be different, but continues to make the same choices. Marisol tells her therapist that she wants to be more independent from her parents, yet she consistently accommodates their needs and puts her own plans on hold. Any therapist worth their salt will notice when progress stalls. Yet the realization can render us self-conscious, worried that the stall reflects poorly on our therapeutic skills. And the thought of addressing the stalemate directly may seem insurmountably awkward. But ethical practice requires us to face head-on the underlying patterns and unconscious avoidance that might be driving the impasse. As soon as therapy feels stalled, we must re-engage, anchor ourselves, and find whatever it takes to shift things so our clients will benefit and progress. Kick-starting progress. The primary antidote to therapeutic stall is to focus on deepening the process. Deepening can happen in many ways. But when therapy loses momentum, I immediately focus on where I might have let the process and the client and myself become less engaged. Therapists can respond to the therapeutic stall in several ways. One, bring a direct challenge or confrontation to the conversation rather than simply supporting the client's own process. For instance, instead of understanding Davika's need to repeat how awful her ex-husband was, it could be helpful to deftly direct her attention to how she saw herself contributing to the marriage's demise and to challenge her to get curious about what she would do differently in future relationships. Two, Speak about the truth that's not being spoken. While it's easier and more comfortable to keep talking about Spencer's week, I might put a pin in her anecdotes or anecdotes and gently redirect her or him to his initial concern, which was, I'm really lonely for a relationship and I'm afraid I don't know how to do it. Number three. 
broaden the context of the issue at hand. Letitia has an opportunity to recognize how her need to control and critique shows up in other areas of her life and to understand the hidden value it might hold for her. As an outside observer, I can direct her attention to the larger patterns underlying her frequent frustrations with her husband. Number four, help the client directly face the two-choice dilemma they're in, if applicable. Some clients who face what is ultimately a binary choice stall in hopes that they can find that they can somehow find a third way out. Marisol, for example, can stay enmeshed with her parents and live with the cost or stand up for herself and face their disappointment. As much as she yearns for a magical third choice to emerge in which she keeps both their approval and her independence, it simply may not exist. I might try to guide her toward acknowledging the bittersweet truth. Any of these will intensify and deepen the level of the therapeutic process, as can some introspection by you, the therapist. When therapy begins to stall, I found that there's often something the therapist isn't saying or asking. It might be helpful to simply ask yourself, what am I not saying to this client? What am I holding back from asking, observing, or inquiring about? In reality, most clients are aching for someone to help them process their problems more deeply. Often, they simply don't know how to do this. Indeed, they've learned a thousand ways not to do it. They have their own resistance because it's scary to move into new emotional territory. And yet, one of us in the room must have the courage to say, let's talk about what you're up against a little differently. When therapists ignore a stall, the client loses the opportunity to truly change their life and fails to address habitual patterns of avoidance. As therapists help clients engage more deeply, clients learn how to challenge themselves more deeply, an emotional skill that will serve them for a lifetime. Again, Psychology Today, November, December 20 of 23, under the Treatment Subtitle Progress section, when therapy stalls, when sessions go nowhere, it's time for the therapist to re-energize the process. Sometimes confrontation is in order by Elizabeth Haney. Or Heaney. Now, I have <laughs> a short intro today on the podcast. In the intro, I did not say this was going to be as much could be, would be, directed toward the therapist as it would be the patient. Here in the article, the client that comes to see the psychotherapist, the psychological counselor. But again, I did state quite clearly, I think you can't make anybody do anything they don't want to do is so universal, so not bound by situation and circumstance, so applicable to every situation, circumstance, as well as the individuals, the persons that comprise it, it applies to the client, the patient, the client, and the therapist. 
And really, in the same sort of a way, if there's going to be a re-energizing, I would think it would have to be relationship-based, rapport, as in that most elegant and exquisite level of communication that needs to be rightly established on the front end of the therapeutic encounter between the psychotherapist and the patient client. And then it could be either. I've had patients come in and say, we're not really getting anywhere. I want to go a little further, a little deeper, a little offer up, a little more. I want to get into a little more doesn't happen often with me actually most likely with me it's going to be the reverse but the patient client can but even as the article aptly puts it it's not their responsibility it's the psychotherapists but if the psychotherapist isn't willing to example even so model even so lead by putting themselves in that same position of re-energy or re-energizing to make sure they're not the obstacle, they're not the impasse, that there is not something on their side that is causing or could be causative, that's probably a better way of saying it, correlative to your patient not getting better. They should address that. Now, it could come back to the patient and client because really, once more, the article captures it well. That's why they've come to see the psychotherapist. They've not been able to move past it either singularly within themselves or within those significant other relationships that they hold as in then rapport, as in then dynamic as then with others who may or may not do it better, most likely wouldn't. Psychosocial sort of contingencies dictate we hang out with people who are a lot like the people that we grew up with that taught us, that's the psychosocial social learning aspect of that, So we're going to surround ourselves with people who are probably very close to where we are. And in that, they may not have the same motive or they may have to get better. Or they may have the same problems, not getting better. Or they may have the same, they're not necessarily wrong at coping strategies. They may not be the most adaptive That's why you come see someone such as me, a psychotherapist, a psychological counselor. That's what we are supposed to have first and foremost individually done, partly through our own studies, our graduate school, our doctorates, our education, degrees, education, certifications, continuing education. But also because for the sake of integrity and as one of the most noble and highest of ethical pursuits, don't ask anyone to do something you're not willing to do. But if you're not seeing that in your psychotherapist, maybe you should ask your psychotherapist why it's not happening. And as if that would be such the 
instance, the psychotherapist should have long gotten there before you got there and asked themselves why this isn't progressing, why we are stalled. But if you're willing to go there and the psychotherapist, the psychological counselor is willing to go there, then I'm sure between the two of you, within the context of that most wonderful of rapport, most exquisite and elegant of communications and communion that comes from it, working together as one being, exampling, honesty, truthfulness. I like to keep going back to research methodology, science, the highest order of logic, empirical thinking, experientially based, testing it, our theories with solid fact, good feedback, with the greatest of intentions to try to manage as best we can our subjective or at least acknowledge it so it doesn't corrupt the process. We can maintain objectivity. But if you're practicing within that, those definitions, then why wouldn't you come up with an answer? If the information, if the psychotherapist is current on all the available information in the field, all the current research, studies, Maybe you are too, as the client slash patient. But if there's that data, if that's the basis of what we're doing, why would you not get better except you can't make someone do something they don't want to do? And surely there are other reasons. We call them secondary gain reasons. You could do more exploration as to where the resistance is coming from. But even then, you have to have this level of conversation, this highest order of mindset, this paradigm operational. And it's not confrontation so much, although the subtitle includes sometimes confrontation is in order. I don't know that it has to be confrontational. It just has to be factual. Confrontation may be as much, in my opinion, my belief, a matter of interpretation. It usually tends or trends toward the aggressive, and most people construe it that way. I don't think so. Maybe the easiest way to say it is don't make it personal. It's not about the person or in that the unconditional positive regard. Mutually so. Hopefully it's mutually so that the client patient holds for the psychotherapist, the psychological counselor, and the psychological counselor reciprocally for the client patient. Maybe it's just about confronting the facts. It's a problem. If we're going to confront anything, let's confront the problem. We've identified the (laughs) tools we need. We've established the mutual agreement that we're not going to throw anyone under the bus. It is a safe place. We've also established that we're doing our best, reciprocally again, to understand each other uh, and with that hoping, believing in positive intent both ways. So why again would it not work except to say after we've done all of that, 
if it's still not working, then maybe it is indeed. <laughs> you can't make someone do something they don't want to do. Whether that is, as in first order, highest order, highest priority, the psychological counselor and psychotherapist, or second order for the sake of the greatest, or again, the highest of levels of ethical concern and consideration, authenticity, genuineness, integrity, honesty, truthfulness. Maybe it is then the client-patient, but if it is the client-patient, then you can't make someone do something they don't want to do. And possibly then they need, as with motive, not only inspiration, not only encouragement by example, again, the psychological counselor leading the way, positivity, again, of inspiration, as in based hopefulness, as in therapeutic results that are evidence-based and proven to work, as with aligning the resources Aligning, even. The supports, maybe they just need to wait a little longer, if that's their choice, until the impetus, the motive, and even in pain. Pain is a motivator. It's not something we should manipulate, ever. It's not something we should create, ever. Although pain, in some discomfort sort of Aspect may come with the hard, difficult, arduous work of going deeper, as the, once again, article calls it, describes it. But pain is not something that we should use to make someone do something. Punishment doesn't do anything good. <laughs> Except that it would be natural consequences, and in the natural consequences, that kind of pain is a strong motivator. I don't want to feel this way anymore. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm worn out by all of this extra energy. Oh, I really appreciate your helping me see how much I'm wasting of resource, personal, and again, maybe even as with significant others, your friend group, wasting a life the energy of life as a resource. Making myself, which it can, not only emotionally sicker, as with progression in a disease sort of oriented direction, but maybe just making myself physically sicker because of the ill effects of the stress and the lack of an answer. And the disease model would then as the disease model then would describe it, the progressive aspects of sadness to depression to chronic fatigue to inability to sleep to not being able to take care of just the basic needs of life in a physical and psychological manner. Thank you for helping me see that. Objectively, without judgment and without criticism of me as a person. But thank you. But if that's not enough, then it probably is wiser to say, okay, let's take a break. Or you could say, it's not really working, it seems, to our great both 
our great aspirations, desires to help you feel better and to come up with an answer, might be worth your while to get a second opinion, to talk to someone else. Not that I don't want to work with you, but they might work with you in a way that I can't or am not able to see. And there may be an answer there. And I think that can be framed too in a very positive way. It doesn't mean that we failed. It means that the process is not working, that you are as in process sort of fixated or maybe arrested or stuck. And maybe a Another way of looking at it, a different perspective, might re-energize it for you. And that's really, in the end, what it always needs to be about. What's in your best interest, not mine? That's why I believe Psychology Today offers such now, and probably always has, but such now as we've read on the podcast today in this current edition, some guidance for psychotherapists. We need to be reminded. We need to see it objectively. And sometimes we get hung up in our own heads. And we need a little bit of a gut check or a reality test. Check to make sure that we're seeing it accurately. That's what the podcast is intention to do. Is to help you to see it from a different perspective. Always attempt to try the highest order utmost of our abilities, mine, to keep it objective. That's why I include Psychology Today articles. I want to start with the research and then we can pontificate and sort of reflect on it. But it's not my opinion, except it would be secondary to what we hope is a very legitimate, research-based, scientific sound, scientific empirical process of not only communicating data, research findings, but progressing that then, the dialogue, the conversation. But that's what I hope the podcast does and why I always want to invite you back. We drop it weekly. Until we do drop our next podcast, you can always reach out at the wordhouse. Find us online at thewordhouse.com, at Wordhouse on Facebook and YouTube. Call 304-523-WORD, W-O-R-D, which is 9673. You can email email me at drmdclay at thewordhouse.com. But once again, if you don't want to go to that trouble... You can always, I would hope you would, at least give some thought to coming back. And we can continue this great conversation, discuss another article on Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. Until we get a chance to do this again, I want to wish you the best of mind health, mental health, psychiatric health, behavioral health, as well as just good general health and the most excellent of loving relationships with others. Thanks.